Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So I want to ask you the question, do you believe the Christmas story? Do you believe it? Is it even worth believing? Does it matter if you believe it? I mean, so much of it is miraculous. There's so much about it that's really unbelievable that I think a lot of people are kind of like, you know what, I just don't buy into it. And I get that. I totally understand that. And, and, and maybe some are thinking, well, you know what, okay, I get it. You know, his followers, they had to come up with some, you know, miraculous birth story to kind of give G- Jesus street cred. Okay, so, you know, I, I understand that. Maybe that's where that comes from. But as unbelievable as the birth story is that we find in Matthew and Luke, when you and I get the whole picture, when we get the backstory, when we get the origin story that is truly unbelievable, and and when we get that story, the unbelievable part about the birth of Jesus not only becomes a remarkable story, it makes the Christmas story that much more believable. Because the story of Christmas, it doesn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out how in the world did we get pregnant. The Christmas story actually begins with a couple who's worried they're never going to get pregnant. It doesn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out, hey, where in the world are we going to have this baby? Because there's nowhere to go. It begins with a couple that's confident that they're never going to have a baby. See, it doesn't begin with the angels' announcements to Mary and Joseph. The story of Christmas begins with a promise that God makes all the way back in the book of Genesis. And that's where we're going to start today. So if you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. This promise was impossible. It was unbelievable. And it wouldn't have made sense at the time that the promise was made. And yet this promise paved the way and set up these events that surround Christmas. The reality is this, it's that the promise and the remarkable story that surrounds the promise, that's what makes the story of the birth of Jesus so believable. And I'll tell you this, it's also what will give you and I confidence to know with certainty certainty that God is active, that God is moving, that God is working, even if you don't think that's the case. God made an extraordinary promise by a man by the name of Abram, who would eventually be called Abraham. So this morning I might go back and forth with those two names. The promise was made 2,100 years before the birth of Jesus. And Abraham actually chose to believe the crazy promise that came his way. So let's look at the origin story. Let's look at the backstory. Let's look at how Christmas really begins. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, and let's pick up in verse 1. It says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, we don't know why God chose Abram, just like we don't know why God chose Joseph and Mary, but God had to start somewhere with someone. And he tells Abram, I want you to leave everything you know which would have been incredibly dangerous because safety, security, 
all of that had to do everything with your clan, with your tribe, with your people, with your family, with your relatives. And so God asking Abram to do something like this, this would be incredibly dangerous. Abram, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave the safety and security net of your home. And I'm going to tell you where to go, and I'm going to tell you where you need to land and when you settle once you actually get there. I mean, just think about that alone. You just want me to, like, start walking, and you'll eventually tell me at some point, yeah, that's what I want you to do. And then God gives Abram the promises if he will answer the call. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God says to Abram, you do this, and I will make you a great nation. Now, Abram's 75 years old at this point. He has no children, and he's probably thinking to himself, I don't know about a great nation. I'd just take being a father and maybe being a grandfather. A great nation, I don't know about that. Just give me a kid. The promises of God continue. And God says, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, which it means, Abram, I'm going to make your name famous, to which Abram probably thought, whoa, 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 hold on, famous? I'm just hoping that I'm not forgotten since I'm leaving everybody that I know. And the promise continues. And you will be a blessing. Everybody say blessing. Blessing. You will be a blessing. Now, that would be very difficult for Abram to understand and grasp because back in his day, you weren't in the habit of blessing anybody outside of your tribe, of your clan, of your relatives. And so the idea that I'm leaving all that, and yet you're telling me I'm going to be a blessing? Yes, not only that, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, Abraham, I'm going to be a part of your story. And I'm going to make sure that the story carries out. I'm going to make sure that nothing is going to stop it. And then God gets to the unbelievable, absolutely impossible part of his promise in verse 3. God says to Abram, he says, and all people, everybody say all. All "All peoples on earth. In other words, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all peoples on earth will be what? Will be blessed through you. Every person on earth will eventually be impacted, Abram, by your life. Everybody on the the planet is eventually going to be indirectly touched through what I'm going to do through you. What makes this especially strange for Abram when he hears this is that nations and tribes and clans, you know, they didn't bless other nations, tribes, and clans. That's not what you did back then. What did you do to other nations, tribes, and clans? Well, you conquered them. You enslaved them. You plundered them. You didn't bless them. So for Abraham, Abram, this made no sense to him. And yet Genesis tells us that Abraham chose to believe the unbelievable. Do you believe the Christmas story? All the way back then, Abraham chose to believe what would have been unbelievable. And believing God's promise For Abram, on so many levels, is a big deal. Starting with the first practical reality, Abraham's old. His wife is old. They can't have kids. Some of you, maybe most of you know the story. Abraham and Sarah eventually, miraculously, by God, 
have a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac had two kids, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the oldest son. He does, he's the one who's the next rightful heir, the heir apparent to the throne of Jacob, or the, to the throne of Abraham. Well, his young, Esau's younger brother, Jacob, is a little bit sneaky and con- conniving. And so uh, he convinces Esau to sell him his birthright. And so Jacob obtains the birthright from Esau. In fact, there's just so much dysfunction and there's so much chaos in this family. It's worth reading this part of the Bible. If for nothing else, it's going to make you feel better about your family. (laughs) The family was so dysfunctional in so many ways, and yet the amazing part is God still chooses to use them and to bless the the entire world through this, this dysfunctional family, which maybe says something to you and I that God can use us, and God can work in our lives too, no matter what we're going through. So Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and eventually Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12, of those 12 sons, uh, 10 of the, of the sons didn't like their younger brother Joseph. They disliked him so much, they threw him in a pit and were trying to decide, do we kill him or do we sell him? Again, if you think you have issues with your sibling or your family, just take a look back at this family. So the 10 brothers, they decide, well, we might as well make some cash off of this, so they sell him. Joseph ends up in Egypt. Through a series of events, the brothers and their families eventually end up in Egypt before Joseph, and and they end up reconciling with their brother. And generations later, while the family and generations later are in Egypt, they have by this time, in fact, become a nation, just as God promised Abraham. Unfortunately, for several hundred years, these descendants of Abraham that God was supposed to bless the whole world through, unfortunately, they were simply slaves in Egypt. But then, again, a lot of you know the story, what did God do? God sent a deliverer, Moses. And by the time Moses got finished with Pharaoh, nobody in Egypt was feeling blessed by these descendants, you know, of Abraham. So much so that Pharaoh finally looked at him and said, listen, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. Get away from our country. Please leave. And so they leave Egypt, and they arrived in what was really their promised land, the land of Cana. They conquered the Canaanites, who obviously weren't feeling blessed by these descendants who were conquering them. And if you're one who would read this part of the Old Testament or have read it before, and you see all the violence and you see all the bloodshed, at times it's pretty offensive. And you think, how in the world is God part of this story? The short answer, we don't have time to talk about it, but the short answer is ultimately. That's why Christmas and the Christmas story was so needed and is even needed now. So about a thousand years go by after God makes the promise to Abraham. Abraham's family, they've now become a nation. Ultimately, that nation becomes a kingdom. They become the kingdom of Israel. And under King David, who was really a warrior king, He created peace with the surrounding nations, and Israel was, in many respects, feared, but they were respected. David is followed up by his son, Solomon. Solomon was incredibly wise, and so David, if he was a warrior king, Solomon was this builder king. As people from all over the world descended upon the land of Israel, 
And as they descend upon the land of Israel to see the, the building projects of Solomon, but also to hear the wisdom that he would spout out. So for the first time, it's looking like Israel might finally be in a position, the, 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 the descendants of Abraham might finally be in a position to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But instead of blessing the whole world, Solomon chose to do something God told him and the Israelites to never do. He chose to marry women from the surrounding nations. And because he did that, because God had warned him, Solomon, if you worship other gods of, the, of foreign women, if you marry foreign women, I'm going to tear down the kingdom, I'm going to divide the kingdom, and I'm going to destroy the temple that you have built to me. Well, Solomon didn't listen to God. And so he chose wives from other nations, and he chose to, to follow and even worship those foreign gods. Sure enough, as a result, the kingdom of Israel was eventually divided in two. Israel had really lost its opportunity to be a blessing to the other nations. In fact, they'd never have that opportunity again like they had at that period in their history to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. So Israel now, as a result of the disobedience of his people and Solomon and so many others, Israel's divided. And they're constantly choosing to go after and follow false foreign gods. And so God finally brings judgment upon them through the other nations. And about 300 years after Solomon, the northern kingdom, again, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, representing 10 of the tribes, the northern kingdom, which was actually called Israel, was, was uh, overtaken and invaded by Assyria. The northern kingdom at that point eventually, essentially, disappears. It no longer exists. And so now that all that's left is the southern kingdom. It's known as the kingdom of Judah. It's about to be invaded as well. Their opportunity to be a blessing seems to be lost. And as the southern kingdom is on the verge of invasion, God speaks through one of his prophets, the prophet Isaiah. And here's what God said to the nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. God said, I will make you a light. Everybody say light. For the who? For the Gentiles. That means anybody who's not a Jew. I'm going to make you, my people, the Jewish people, a light for everybody else. And they're thinking, well, that's a joke. We're not going to be light. We can't even light up our own lives right now. I will make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Salvation? Everywhere? Yeah, no chance. We can't even save ourselves, God, from these outside invaders. How in the world are we going to be part of salvation as it relates to these other nations and tribes? How in the world are we going to be a part of salvation for any other group of people? Well, as a result of that, Israel was the, the southern kingdom of Judah. Assyria comes in there, and through some treaties and whatnot, they become a vassal state to Assyria. Another hundred years goes by, chaos, it's not a good time for the people of Israel. They continue to disobey God, and so God brings judgment upon them again and sends in the Babylonians to attack and destroy Jerusalem, their capital city, along with Solomon's temple, just like God said he would do because of their unfaithfulness. The Babylonians, they cart off the best and the brightest 
and, and, the, and the most important citizens of the country. The economy's in shambles. The military is destroyed. But God eventually sends another prophet. This prophet is the prophet named Malachi. And as Malachi spoke the words that God gave to him, the people hear those words And in their situation, the words that are going to be spoken are impossible for them to believe. So what does God say? Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. It says, my name, talking about the name of the Lord, will be great among the nations. To which they thought, "Uh, no offense, Yahweh, but your name, we know. It's a joke among the nations. Nobody looks up to Israel and thinks, oh, I want to worship their God. Their God can't even take care of his own people. So the Israelites are thinking to themselves, there is no way in the world God's name is going to be great among the other nations. We can't even feed ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. We can't take care of ourselves. So prophets of God, how about you stop all this nonsense, all these empty promises and all these pep talks for us? But God wasn't finished. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where the sun sets. That's just God's way of saying my name is going to be known across the entire world. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. In other words, any place in the world where worship is happening, there's going to be a group of people that recognizes me. Why? Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But the people of Judah couldn't hear that promise. Oftentimes, you and I, we read Scripture, and we read it, but we don't hear the promise. We read it, and we go, oh, that sounds great, but we don't hear it. We don't take it in. Us, like them, are sometimes in circumstances and situations where we find ourselves saying, I don't see it. I don't see that coming my way. How could that come my way? For them, they don't see it. They can't comprehend it. How could they? They've already been overrun by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks are coming. And then eventually, in 63 BC, Rome would send Pompeii to Israel. Tradition tells us that when Pompey came to the city of Jerusalem, that he rode his horse up the southern steps into the Temple Mount area. He gets off his horse and he walks into the temple itself. And I want you to understand Pompey's context as he gets ready to walk into the Jewish people's temple. He knows and understands that every single temple across the world um, every single temple in, a, in the world had what, basically a, a, a God vault, so to speak, a God place. It was the place where the people uh, um, who worship these different gods, it's the place where, where their God, where their idol, where their image that represented their God, it's where that God would be placed. And so Pompeii, You know, he conquered the land of Israel, but it was a hard-fought battle, many battles, and so he had a lot of admiration and respect for these Jewish people who had fought so valiantly, and so he's like, I want to know who this God is. I want to see this God of the Jews. So he gets to the temple. He walks into the, the temple area. He 
pulls back the curtains to the Holy of Holies, ready to see the Jewish God. But because the Jews have no idols, they have no images of their God. Why? Because God said, don't ever do that. Pompey opens the curtains, and what does he see? It's an empty room. So from a Roman perspective, they just thought Judaism was silly. They thought it was a pathetic religion. And so that began the Roman occupation of the land of Israel and the people of Israel. So I guess God was partially correct. The descendants of Abraham did in fact become a nation, a small little nation. But this unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise to Abraham to bless all people in the world and to be a light to all the Gentiles, that part of the promise clearly ended there. All the nations of the world, they're not going to be blessed through Abraham. Israel is not going to become a light to the Gentiles. There's no way this Jewish God will be worshipped throughout the world. Maybe Jupiter, maybe Zeus, but not Yahweh. You see, nobody in the world is interested in a God who can't even take care of his own people. Nobody's interested in a God who's invisible. Nobody's interested in a God who's inactive and doesn't even take care of this tiny little nation. And no one's interested in a God where a, a tiny little nation follows this God invisible God who has no images and idols or anything, and they just follow him blindly. Nobody's interested in following that kind of God. And that is what makes the story of Christmas so remarkable. Because when things are hopeless, and they're at their worst, when the Jewish people are wondering, there's no way that our God is going to move. There's no way that God is going to step up and step in. When God's promise to reach out to the people of, through Abraham, to reach out to the world, the entire world, or to bless the entire world, when that looks like just a, a pipe dream, when the story was just absolutely too unbelievable to track with, something happened. I love how the Apostle Paul really summarized it. He said in Galatians chapter 4, he said when the set time, or different translations say, some translations say when the right time, when the fullness of time had fully come. Paul looked at the landscape of, of the time of Jesus, and he said when the set time had come, and again, we're on this side of the Christmas story, so we know it's the story of Jesus and being born, we know that. When the set time had fully come, when God had everything the way he wanted it, you ever ask the question, what made it the right time? Why was that time so special in God's view of history? Well, let's just think about it for a minute. At that time, the, the kingdom, if you will, of Rome, the empire of Rome, had expanded throughout the entire Mediterranean and beyond. And not only had it expanded throughout the entire Mediterranean world, the known world, if you will, but everybody spoke a common language. Sure, you had your own dialect and your own language, but everybody spoke the same language. Why was it the right time? Because at that time, the Romans had built a very intricate and important highway system. And so you could travel anywhere in the Mediterranean on a Roman road. 
And if you didn't want to walk, you could head into just about any port, especially the, 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 the medium-sized and large ports. And they were all set up to take travelers all throughout the Mediterranean. Not only that, you had what was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so the entire Mediterranean, it was a time when if you decided, hey, you know what, I want to travel. And so you want to travel, you want to go anywhere in the world, jump on a road, get on a boat. You don't have to worry about peace and safety, relatively speaking, because they ruled with an iron will, and if someone disturbed the peace, the Rome would take them out. And so you could travel with safety and, and safety and security. And as you travel, when you got to your destination, you didn't have to worry. You didn't have to have your phone to Google Translate what they were saying. You were good. They understood you. You understood them. You sp- spoke the same language. In other words, hmm, if God had a message that he was about to bring the world, I wonder when the best time for God to bring that message about. How about when people could go anywhere and no matter where they went, everybody would understand the message? Oh, that's an interesting idea. You see, the world was positioned just the way God wanted it. And and very few people, though, the world was positioned that way, very few Jewish people thought that God was going to fulfill his unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise to Abraham. Nobody was expecting that. And when nobody was expecting God to move, I want to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, the familiar story, the Christmas, part of the Christmas story, starting in verse 26. When nobody's expecting God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of who? King David. And the virgin's name was, and everybody in the world today knows the virgin's name, don't they? How? How is it that every December, people from all over the world will tell this story that we're talking about? Right now, we're all talking about it around the whole world. And everybody knows who the virgin's name is. Her name is Mary. How could that happen? Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And at that period of time, no Jewish person thought the Lord was with them. Because God had been silent for at least 400 years. And so God hadn't been with them, or so they thought. And you have found favor with God. You will conceive. You will give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then here's a clincher. Here's the part, just like God's promise to Abraham that would have made no sense to Abraham, this part would have made no sense to Mary. And he said, this son you're going to have that you're going to name Jesus, the angel says his kingdom will never end. Meaning, in the end, God would do exactly what he promised Abraham. That through Abraham, every single nation in the world would be blessed As it turns out, the nation of Israel would in fact become a light to the Gentiles. From that tiny little part of the world, God would send his son Jesus 
through his life, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, that little part of the world would become a light to the entire planet. The Jewish people did indeed become a light to Gentiles. Think about it. Most of us who are uh, watching online right now or listening later in the week on podcasts or sitting in this room right now, most of us, probably all of us, with the exception of maybe just a couple people, all of us, who are we worshiping right now? Who do we worship? You worship a Jewish Savior. You worship the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Jewish God is worshiped throughout the world. And that's one of the things that makes the Christmas story so believable. It's this remarkable backstory. It's this remarkable origin story. Nobody could have made it up. The promise made to Abraham, it was completely unbelievable. Do you believe the Christmas story? It was unbelievable. It would have made no sense to anybody at that time. And Maybe sometimes the things God tells you today makes no sense to you at the time. Nobody would have made it up. Nobody could have made it up. It shouldn't have worked. At every turn, obstacles were in the way. And yet, even when the people, they had lost hope and they had lost sight of God's promise, God was working. God was working behind the scenes and he was getting the world ready for Jesus. God was working behind the scenes, ultimately preparing the world for what Jesus had to do on a cross because of sin that actually entered the world all the way back in the garden, which is really the garden, that's the, that's the story to the backstory of Genesis 12. The Christmas story really did begin 2,100 years before that first Christmas. And the Christmas story, it actually continues to unfold today, over 2,000 years later, after that first Christmas. Why? Why? Why is there Christmas? Well, the answer is simple. God had decided. God had determined. God knew and understood The world needed Jesus. The world needed Christmas. And so God decided to work out the Christmas story on the world stage. I want you to think about this. God involves some of the most significant people in human history uh, and and at that, who are alive at that time, and they're actually just footnotes in the story of Jesus who would ultimately change the world, that through Jesus, the Jews would become a light to the world, that through Jesus, Jesus, the Jewish God, would be worshipped throughout the whole world, that through Jesus, salvation would in fact come to every nation. What do you and I walk away with? What do we take away from this story? There's so much, but just as we wrap up our time together here this morning, let me give you a couple thoughts. It's through the Christmas story, which includes this backstory that we laid out for you today. It's through the Christmas story and the backstory that you and I are reminded in the most incredible way imaginable that God is active even when it seems like he's not. I want you to grab a hold of that for your own life, that God is active even when it seems to you like he is not, that even when God is silent, it doesn't mean he is still. God is interested in our lives. So take heart. God is working 
even if it seems like he is not, have faith. It's through this Christmas story we're reminded that even when our circumstances argue to the contrary, God can be trusted. That even when you're going through something that causes you to think, man, there's no possible way that God cares. Even if you're going through something right now and you're reaching out to God and you're thinking there's no way in the world God's actually listening. There's no way in the world what I'm going through that God would ever come through for me. But in the midst of that, even when our circumstances argue to the contrary, God can be trusted. Our Heavenly Father will keep his promises. It may not be in your time, by the way. It may not, if you want to look at this whole arc, it may not even be in your generation. Did you just hear what I said? I know that's brutal to hear. It may not even be in our generation. But God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. So take heart. Have faith. Trust in God. It's why the psalmist, the proverb, the, uh, it's why they said in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. All your heart. Don't lean on your way of thinking and your understanding in all your ways, wherever you're headed, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're about, and all of that. Acknowledge him and his way and his will. You do that, he's going to give you a straight path. He's going to give you a straight path. God can be trusted. You may not feel like it, but God can be trusted. You may look around and say, there's no evidence that God can be trusted, but God is active even if you don't see it, and God can be trusted. Just look at the whole story that we started with all the way back in Genesis 12. Why Christmas? Man, we needed it. The world needed Christmas. The hopeless world needed hope. The dark world needed light. The world needed a God who could be trusted. The world needed a God who keeps his promises. But finally, and so important for us, you and I moving forward, God told Abraham the entire world would be blessed through you. You and I are literally the fulfillment of that promise. And we're fulfilling that promise ourselves. And so here's my question for you. My question for you is, are you blessing people in your sphere of influence? Because the reason Christmas is so needed is because God is using you to keep expanding his blessing. So are you blessing people in your sphere of influence by your love, by your grace, by your kindness, by your testimony of what God has done in your life? Are you shining the light of Jesus? All people on earth will be blessed. That's God's great desire. And he wants to use you to continue to expand that blessing. The world needs Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you pouring out our hearts, even as we sang earlier, lifting up our praise to you. And God, we thank you that that promise you made to Abraham so long ago, you are continuing to work that promise out and carry that out as we watch Jesus, the Savior of the world, change lives literally across this planet. God, hear our prayers right now. And I want to invite you right now to take a moment, you and God, 
And if you're willing, would you pray to him right now and tell him, God, I want to be used by you to be a blessing to those I have influence with. In your own words, in your own way, say, God, use me to be a blessing to those around me. God, hear our prayers. Use us so that we can continue your blessing, so you continue to fulfill your promise you made to Abraham. Now we love you, we praise you, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who has come for the entire world. We worship you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.